right, all right, all right. Welcome to Bible Study Live. I'm Matt, and today we're going to talk about how we uh, how we think about God, how we treat God during the time that we are alive. Um, so, uh, one second, I want to just pull something up. So, um, we've been looking at Noah and things like that, but um, today I want to look at. Uh, I want to look at something that happened after God rescued Noah and his family. After they uh, they got off the ark, what what then? And uh, I think it'll be a great thing to dig through today. Uh, so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 15 through 21. Uh, but I'm just pulling up here. Okay. I'm just pulling up here uh, another passage from Mark that I want to look at. So bear with me here because I want to get this queued up too. And uh, we're going to jump in. We're going to read through this stuff together. Now, as I always try to remind folks, I'm Bible Study Live. Uh, what's up? Shalomi, my homies. What's up, Alternate Gaming? Thanks for jumping on. I love the little icon. Come get Psalm. I, I wish I could show that. Oh, I can to everybody. Okay. So that is so awesome. Thank you for, <laughs> thanks for the comment. Listen, wherever you're watching from, feel free to, you know, drop comments. Um, I use uh, Ecamm Live to stream through Restream. So hopefully I'll be able to see your comments. If I don't see them live, I will answer them after the fact. Look, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Matt Koenig. Uh, I'm just studying my Bible out loud live with you guys. Uh, wrestling with some of the questions and some of the ideas and things that, uh, that I, I have in my head and that I feel like God is putting on my heart. Here's the deal. Um, we won't agree on everything. And that's okay, but we're not going to argue. The whole purpose of this is to create conversation without condemnation. Look, everybody's at a different stage in their in their walk with God. Some people are just picking up the book. Some people have been reading it for years. There's some people like me who grew up not knowing God and then uh, became believers and then uh, went and got ordained and became, you know, certified by another group of humans to say, oh, good, now you can talk about God. Uh, and, and then, uh, if you know, there are guys like me who did that and then walked away for years and realized how dumb that was and then came back home. And so, uh, if, if anything that we wrestle with makes you feel, uh, uncomfortable or convicted, um, that's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable, but, uh, my goal is not to make you feel condemned, uh, for where you're at. It's to encourage you in a way that makes you go, I don't know if this mad dude is right or not, but I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to see for myself. I want to read through this. Um, so here's the deal. I'm not going to get everything right. Uh, and nobody will. I don't care who your pastor is. I don't care if your pastor is Rick Warren uh, or Greg Laurie or Stephen Furtick or Joel Osteen or any, just name a celebrity pastor, Matt Chandler. I, I don't I don't care who your pastor is uh, or if there's some local small town person that's dedicated their entire life to trying to follow God. Nobody gets it right all the time. That's why we needed Jesus, right? Even, even the... Back in his days, you know, the Pharisees, the religious scholars, man, they had the scriptures memorized, and, and Jesus still had to come. And uh, the you heard it says over and over were because what? Because these cats had it all memorized, and they still weren't living it right. So that being said, I humbly invite you to study the Bible with me, and uh, let's get it right and wrong together, shall we? All right, so we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 8. So up till now, we've we've read the story. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'll recap it here for you. Um, 
uh, as quickly as humanly possible. God looked at the whole planet and said, every single person on here is got a mind filled with evil thoughts and they're doing evil things. There's nothing good left. And it said, God was so upset that he actually regretted creating humankind. Yet it said, but then there was Noah who stood blameless among people. Basically saying, look, Noah stood out from the crowd and he stood out in a good way. He stood out as a guy who walked with God, according to the scriptures. So because of Noah and how he walked and, and how he related with God, he and his family were spared the destruction and devastation of God wiping out the planet, right? With the flood. Okay. So all that happens. Then we see uh, yesterday, we talked about it a little bit that like, you know, God comes through. We don't always know the timing, right? Like Noah and his family have been on this ark, right? This horrible chaos happens outside and, uh, and they're headed, it, God, that just had to be so, so, so hard to, to go through that, you know, hearing your neighbors and no matter how wicked they are, hearing all those people drowning, screaming, dying, that man, how does that not leave a mark on your soul, right? But so they're on the ark and eventually the water recedes. Eventually the storm is over. We talked a little bit yesterday about how we can't always know when the storm's going to end, but we got to ask ourselves, how do we honor God, love God, worship God through the storm when we can't see the end in sight. But that led me to today. And today is, how do we love on God when the storm's over? How do we respond after we've gotten through the storm? Alternate Gaming said this, Noah's called the comforter because he would alleviate the toil of the ground. But scripture doesn't say how this prophecy was fulfilled, which is interesting. That is interesting. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, so, Today, what I want to dig into is uh, when we're not in the middle of the storm, how do we relate to God? What's our life and our focus with God when we're not in the middle of the storm? And, and this is near and dear to my heart because I got to tell you guys, even during the times of my life where I, so I had known God, I, I had already gotten my ordination and then I went through a divorce and I walked away from God for like six years. Obviously, you can't walk away from God, right? I'm using anthropomorphic language. I wasn't walking with God. My life wasn't aligned with God's values for like six years. I was acting like a complete and total tool, uh, making stupid choices. But I'll tell you this, when there was bad stuff going on, Oh, I still said prayers, right? Even people who don't claim to know God, when they got a family member, I'll see them post online. Hey, friends, uh, you know, pr pray for so-and-so who's in the hospital. Pray to your God. And it's like, there's, a, there's only one, like, God of, God of gods, right? Lord of lords, king of kings. We've got one God. But anyways, even people who claim to believe in nothing, um, when, they're, when they're struggling through a really tough time or... or, or they're looking at losing somebody they love so much. Then it's like, oh man, come on, pray for them. Or, or even the ones that don't do that, it's interesting when, when somebody passes, right? When somebody dies, death is part of the human condition. Entered, entered into life in the garden, right? But it's interesting because I'll even hear people who claim to believe in no God say things like, well, they're in a better place now. It's like, wait a minute, if you don't believe that there's a God, uh, you don't believe that there's a creator. You don't believe there's a better place and a worse place. So how are they in a better place than being alive, right? Like, but I think sometimes as people, we don't stop to think about the lack of rationality in some of those statements. Or or we look at it as irrational. Maybe it's a better way to say it. But one of the things that I wrestle with is I'm going, no, 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 no. It, it's very rational for them to feel that way. And here's why. Because deep down inside in our soul, we know that there is a God. And he created us in his image. 
and that God is for us, right? So uh, it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to see how people react and respond during crises. But today, I want to talk about what I find equally interesting, and it's how people respond when there's no crisis. I'm going to read through these scriptures, and then I'm going to share with you one of the most interesting things that we experience when we move to the South. And it, I'm going to be honest with you, right? We live in the Bible Belt. We live in Sparta, Tennessee now. And we moved from the West Coast. We, uh, we <laughs> very, very unapologetically say we escaped from the state of Washington. We are about an hour north of Seattle. But roll with me, because after I read the scripture, I want to share with you one of the most disappointing things that happened when we came to the South, um, to the Bible Belt. And I think it may shock you. So first, let's read the scripture. All right, Genesis chapter 8, verse 15 through 21. Oh, 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 one last thing. I'm reading from the New English Translation because I love the translator notes uh, in here where the translators talk about why they translate things certain ways. NIV, NLT, uh, New English Translation, Amplified Bible, New American, uh, Christian Standard Bible, uh, The Message, paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. Whatever you're reading from, um, if you go to Bible Gateway, there's a bazillion translations. Uh, they're all, they're all telling the same story in this part. There are different nuances depending on which text. You know if they're using the textus receptus or, or if they're using something else. But at the end of the day, they're all do, trying to tell the same story. So um, the, the verses and chapter marks were not in the original writings. Those are for reference for us to find our place, just so you know. right? It's kind of like street signs without the area code. But um, just know that. So like if, if, I, if what I'm reading, you're going, well, my, that doesn't sound like, you know, King James. It's because it's not. I like to read from more, the ones that took from... Uh, you know, from older manuscripts, um, you know, because they, they tend to, I, I believe, be more accurate, uh, which many biblical scholars would agree with. That being said, in what we're reading today, it's going to be the same throughout them. So long as you're not reading some scripture from like a cult, like the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or something like that. So anywho, don't get hung up on the Bible translation if you don't like the one I'm reading. Uh, read it out of yours. The point is going to be the same. So here we go. Genesis chapter 8, verse 15, Then God spoke to Noah and said, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons' wives, uh, and you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you all the living creatures that are with you. Remember, seven pairs of every living creature. Bring out every living thing, including the birds, animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Ugh, snakes. Ugh, our cat brought in half a snake the other day. It's disgusting. Half of a copperhead. Thankfully, she didn't get bit and killed outside. Thankfully, she did not bring a live copperhead into our house, but it's still gross. I digress. Uh, let them increase and be fruitful and multiply in the earth. Noah went out along with his sons and wives, or along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives. Every living creature, every creeping thing, every bird, and everything that moves in the earth went out of the ark in their groups. Verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord. And then he took some of every kind of clean animal and clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, even though the inclination of their minds is evil from childhood on. I will never again destroy everything that lives as I've just done. Phew. Burnt offering, 
smoothing, soothing aroma. I'm going to click on this little footnote here. The Lord smelled. Obviously, using anthropomorphic language, if you aren't familiar with that term, it's like utilizing human terms to describe God. Okay, the Lord smelled, the soothing smell. Uh, let's look at this. The object forms a cognate accusative with the verb. The language is anthropomorphic. The offering had a sweet aroma that pleased soothe. The expression Leviticus 1 signifies that God accepts the offering with pleasure. And in accepting the offering, he accepts the worshiper. So obviously the point here that we're learning is that basically this was a sign. This smell, the, the soothing aroma smell is a way of pointing out that what Noah did pleased God. It's an acceptable offering to God. Now, here's part of why I wanted to dig into this today, because, you know, the crazy thing is when, when we're struggling, when we cry out, right, the, uh, I think in, when, when we read about later with the um, Exodus from Egypt, like when it talks about people, God's people crying out, it's the, it's the Akha, uh, this, this crying out, it's like God hears our crying out, right? So it is natural for us to cry out in the midst of storms and turmoil and hurt to go, God, where are you? I need you here oh help me normal as it should be but you know what else it should exist look at how noah responded after the storm with devotion with with dedication with love for god with honor see oftentimes I, one of the things that i've noticed and i noticed it in my own life in the past and I, and i try to be much more aware of it now is that even when I was not walking with God, I would acknowledge my need for God when I needed something selfishly, as though God was a cosmic vending machine, put in a prayer quarter, get out a prize. Not how it works. But when things were going good, how, when they're going good, how many times do we stop and go, man, God is good. Let me celebrate God. This, this thing, I, you know, this life I have, the fact that I woke up with breath in my lungs this morning, that's a celebration. What can I do, God, to show you how grateful I am for the day you've given me, the life I have? When we're, when we're through the storm, how do we respond? You know, a, a year or so ago, my son and his wife and my, our grandson, uh, grandsons, um, they had an apartment fire. Their whole apartment building burned down. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was bad. And, um, you know, we were obviously praying for him. We, we did a, a little GoFundMe. Within a couple days, praise God, so many people who didn't even know my son and his wife and our grandkids uh, came together and were able to get them moved, get them in a new place, get them furniture and replace all their stuff. And the big thing I remember saying to my son was like, God carried you through this. Don't forget him when this is over. Like, don't forget how God has loved you through this storm. Here's the deal. It's easy to say that in the outside looking in, but it's also so easy to get caught up in our everyday life, isn't it? So easy. But God's been saving humankind from the beginning of when he created humankind. We talked about this earlier uh, in Bible Study Live uh, a week or so ago uh, when we were looking at, at the Garden of Eden. You know, when God sent Adam and Eve out, it's easy to just look at that as a punishment. Well, you don't get to live in the garden. That's not how God is. God looked at them and said, man, we can't let them stay here because what if they eat from the tree of life? Then they're going to live forever. And it wasn't that God went, oh, great, I want them to be dead. God knew once they ate, they experienced shame. They experienced the weight of sin. 
And one of the most merciful things that God did was to say, I don't want them to experience that for eternity. So I can't let them eat from the tree of life. See, God is always looking for a way to rescue and redeem us. But we don't always, there are times in our life where we don't need a rescue. So in those moments, what are we doing with our relationship with God? Like, are we, are we celebrating him? And by the way, Jesus rescued us. So we've, we've been rescued. But sometimes we don't need an earthly rescue. Like we're not in the midst of a turmoil. And those are the times and those moments of complacency that the enemy likes to creep on in and distract us from giving praise and glory to God. Um, alternate Gaming said, pointed out something. Uh, said, God closed the door of the ark to save them from the storm, but Noah had to open it after the storm. Begs the question, why? Like, why didn't God open it? You know, that's a good question. And while we don't get an answer, you know, one thing that your question makes me think of is this. That big old heavy door, you know, maybe Noah could, like, you know, rigged a system to, to pull it up, to close it or whatever. Um, but, you know, the rain started coming. <laughs> that thing had to be closed quick, right? So we don't, we don't get, like, exact details of how God closed it. But here's the thing. When the storm was over, when I read that, and I just, I think it's really, um, really neat that you asked that question. When I read it, one thing that stands out to me is this. Noah had the ability to open the door. And maybe, just maybe, okay, and this is eisegesis as me reading into the scripture, not pulling out, but one thing that comes to mind is Noah had the ability to open the door, and maybe God wanted to give Noah the opportunity to open the door into that new life for himself. You know, a lot of times, Christians, we sit back waiting for God like baby birds, right? Waiting for God to drop, chew, you know, the chewed up food in our mouth. We, we live through life going, oh, man, God, when are you going to do this? Or, well, God will provide. There's this, um, it's a, it's a I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll call it a joke, but I, I, think, I guess it's a joke that people have told in the past where it's like a little anecdote. There you go, where people talk about, you know, to point out the picture of like how we miss opportunities. Like we sit there waiting on God when God has equipped us to do things. And uh, there's a story about like this flood, you know, this flood happens and, and this guy, you know, um, his neighbor comes by uh, with, with a car and says, hey, get in. We're getting out of here. And he goes, nope, nope, God will provide, God will provide. And then uh, the waters get higher and uh, somebody, another neighbor comes by in a boat and says, jump in the boat. We're, we're heading out of here. And he's like, no, no, God will provide. God will provide a way. And then he's up on his roof and helicopter comes. And it's like, come on, come on, climb up the ladder. You know, we got to get out of here. You know, the waters are rising. And the guy's like, nope, nope, God will provide. And then the guy drowns. And when he, when he gets to heaven, uh, he says to God, hey, why'd you let me drown? And God says, well, I provided a car, a boat, and a helicopter to get you out of there. What more do you want? Uh, and, I, and I probably mangled this pathetic joke. But, but the point of the, the little anecdote is that, see, God created us in his image, right? He gave us the ability to be creators, rule over the earth, things like that. He gave us decision-making ability so that we can make good choices. We can... We can choose right and wrong. We can choose good things or bad things, right? We have free will. So God has equipped us to make choices, to move us forward in this life that we live in. And oftentimes we sit back going, well, you know, God, are you going to do this for me? So maybe the reason that God didn't open the door to the ark was because now it was time for Noah to do something, to step into this new life for himself. I'm not sure why, 
but maybe. I think that was a, a really cool question. So I, I said I was going to share this. So one of the most disappointing things when we moved to the South, by the way. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, before I touch on that, you know, there's another scripture verse I want to point out here. So, you know, I was talking about how, like, even folks who don't believe in God or claim claim to not believe in God, because everybody believes in something, right? Everybody's, they've got a God, even if they worship themselves. They, you know, they make themselves their God. Uh, everybody's got a God. Don't, don't kid yourself. You, like, I hate when people say believers and non-believers. Oh, no, 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 no. Everybody's a believer in something. But interestingly, those who claim not to believe in Yahweh, uh, our, our God, um, they, they, they all of a sudden start crying out when they have a big need. That's what, that was the point I was making. But here's the deal. Christians tend to focus on the relationship with God as one that it is. We have to do certain things here so we can get there. We have to be a certain way on earth to get to heaven. Jesus died for us on earth so we can go to heaven as though the only point of life is getting to heaven. And that is not at all what Jesus taught. Not at all what Jesus taught. Yes, that's a benefit of being a Christ follower. That is a benefit. But Jesus taught us to live a better way here on earth. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And um, Jesus points that out, albeit in a different context, talking about the resurrection in Mark chapter 12, because the Sadducees, who did not believe that there is a resurrection, came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, Moses wrote, if man's brother dies, they go through this whole thing, right? Um, Culturally, if a guy died and, he, and uh, if a guy died and he had no children, his brother had to marry his wife to, to father children on behalf of the brother, right? To keep the lineage going. Um, and so they tell this baloney story where you know a guy dies and his brother marries his wife, and then he dies with no kids, and the next one does, all seven of them, whose wife will should be in the resurrection, right? And Jesus go, it says to him, he goes, Hey, uh, aren't you deceived for this reason? you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. He basically says, you don't even understand how God works, guys. He said, for when they rise from the dead, they're neither, they don't marry or be given in marriage, but they're like the angels in heaven. Like, doesn't say they are, it says like. The footnote says angels don't die, nor do they eat according to Jewish tradition. Okay, So it says, now for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses and the passage about the bush? God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, the God of the living. You're badly mistaken. This is in Mark. Now, Jesus was talking about the resurrection to them, right? Because then the next verse is like, oh, the Pharisees seen how he bested the Sadducees. The, the whole point of that, though, and the reason I bring that up is because in, in the Christian faith, we tend to focus on what happens after death, and we put very little focus often on what is supposed to happen during life. But see, Jesus said, go and make disciples, of all nations. What's a disciple? A committed student. What does a committed student do? A committed student studies the teacher and says, I want to learn what you have to teach me. Our role is not to get people out of hell and into heaven. That was Jesus' role. Our role is to introduce people to Jesus and show them why his way is the way. That's our role in this life. To say, let me tell, in the immortal words of Annie Wilson, let me tell you about my Jesus, right? Let me let me show you what the scriptures say. And then you see for yourself. See, I always think of it like this. It's almost like, um, like our job is to get people to taste and see. Because I know that when they taste and see, the flavor is good. What they see is good. 
Now to one of the most disappointing things I've experienced in moving to the South. I wish I had like a cool little music thing. When we were in Washington, it was very different. Uh, people weren't as open spiritually. There were pockets of, of great movement going on where people were committed to God. And it's so cool. But as a whole, that state, like schools, man, you could talk about everything else, Islam, everything. You talk about Christianity, no bueno, not okay, unacceptable. That's exclusive. It's like, um, but Islam isn't? Like Washington, there was like a, a spirit of, um, like a weight of spiritual oppression. That's the best thing I could say. And it wasn't always people. I mean, you, you could just feel the weight in your spirit it was it was nuts and when we moved out of washington it was like man when we were driving here on the move 50 something hours from washington to tennessee it was like a weight lifted when we left that area that being said tennessee is so cool and i love that but one of the one of the hardest things one of the worst things about living in the south is what my wife and I talk about this, it's comfortable Christianity, the complacency that comes from living a life where it is so easy to be a Christian. I think that's why Jesus didn't come to create Christians or better Jews because Jesus didn't come to create a religion. From what we see in the scriptures, Jesus came to show people, here's what my father wants. Here's what my father's done for you. Here's what he wants. He just wants you to love him back. When asked the most important commandment, Jesus said, love God with everything you got, in a nutshell, and love your neighbors as much as you love yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets hang in these two things. All. Not some of, not, hey, general rules for life, not like, you know, the 10 steps. God, Jesus flat out said, Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the law and prophets hang on these two principles. These two things. To me, when I wrestle with that, I, I see it and I go, okay, so basically everything that you do, ask yourself, how am I loving God and how am I loving others with this choice? Is this choice honoring God? Is this choice loving God? Is this choice loving others? Is this choice loving God? Is this choice loving others? And I think we can learn some massive lessons from what just took place with Noah and his family. Thing number one, they just went through a very hard storm together. They were there together. So the thing we can learn is that God didn't ever mean for us to do this alone. When things get hard, some of us have a natural tendency to withdraw. I know that used to be mine. It's probably still my natural tendency, but I fight through it now. And instead, to our one, I connect with my wife and we, we wrestle through stuff together. But my natural tendency when things get tough is pull away, be alone, figure it out. God never intended for that to be the case with us. Heck, it says right in the beginning of Genesis, when after he creates Adam and all this stuff, he says it's not good for him to be by himself. We see it with Noah. He could. It said Noah was walking with God. It said the whole world had nothing but evil thoughts, but Noah, Noah walked with God. It didn't say Noah's family did, interestingly enough. Now, they may have, but it does not say that in the scriptures. So what we know is that Noah did. But God still felt it was not good for Noah to be by himself because otherwise he would have said, Noah, build an ark, kick your family out, 
you and the animals break dance. If it was just for reproduction, God could have said, all right, I'll let your wife go, but your kids and their wives, we're going to go ahead and we're going to smoke them right out here. They're going to go drown with everybody else. That is not what God did. So the first lesson that I take away from what we read today is that God, he wanted people to be in community. And so Noah and his whole family were on that ark. Second thing we see from this is that God believes we're capable. Like Noah and his family had to take care of all these animals. Now there are a bazillion theories on what could happen with the hibernating. Do God put them in sleep? We don't know. What we do know is this. There was a boat full of seven pairs of every kind of clean and unclean animal. This is crazy. That's a lot. That's a crazy zoo, right? Yet God knew Noah and his family. They were caretakers. They could do it. Lastly, when the storm was over and Noah opened the door into their new life, the first thing that it shows us that he did was he built an altar to God, which means the first thing Noah did was honor God. It was his first choice. Not, hey, let's go get our houses built and then let's do this thing. No, 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 let's build an altar to God first and honor him. That's a powerful life lesson. What altars are we building in our lives? What altars am I building in my life where I should be building an altar to God? That's what I wrestle with when I, when I see this. I have to stop and take an account of my life and go, is there another altar that I keep building? The altar of success, the altar of fame, the altar of uh, wealth, the altar of pride. Are there altars that you're building in your life that you're putting before God? Jesus says in my life first, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else. Everything else will be taken care of. Everything else, God will, God will provide. Are you seeking first God and his righteousness? Are you seeking first God and his righteousness? Are you honoring God first with your life? Here we go. That's the thing I hope you take away from this. Noah went through a storm, but after the storm, the first thing he did was go, life is good right now. God is good. Life is good. Let me honor God. When you're going through the good times in your life, my friends, don't forget the reason you've got a life. Don't forget the reason that life is good. It's because God is good and God loves you. And God is all things for good so that we can see his glory and God wants the best for us. As Jesus said in John 10, 10, a thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I can give you life in the full. God wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. That doesn't mean it's always going to look the same for everybody. It doesn't have anything to do with wealth and financial abundance. Although for some, it does mean that. Some people do have those resources and those blessings, and that's great. But the reality is God has given you breath. He's given you life, and that breath in your lungs is his breath. That's his spirit, his ruach. God has breathed life into you. Do you celebrate that every day? Noah sure did after they got off that boat. It's the first thing he did. It should be the first thing we do every day when we wake up. Whether you've gone through a storm or a good night's sleep, my friends, can I encourage you? Make praising God and honoring him and communing with him the very first thing you do every day. And I also want to challenge you to make sure it is the last thing you do every night before bed. Before going to bed, my wife and I, um, we pray, and then I, I always read like a chapter of scripture with her uh, before bed. 
and sometimes we'll just talk about it and wrestle with it, so that God is in our mind when we go to sleep. And the first thing when our eyes wake up, I pray over my wife, and that begins the day with God in our mind. And then we do our devotionals together. And I love it. I love it. Do we have a perfect life? Nope. Do we screw up? Yep. We are saints, former sinners saved by grace. That doesn't mean we're sin-free in our life. It just means I don't identify as a sinner. It's an, it's an alcoholics anonymous. Not some still 12-step program where every day I'm like, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. No. Nope. I am created in God's image. In God's image, he created me. Now, there are times where I manage to screw that up. But by his grace and mercy, he still loves me. I'm still created in his image. And so are you. Let me encourage you, no matter where you're at in your life, you're just one moment away from walking a little closer with Jesus. Open your Bibles. Get to know his word. Get into prayer. Have conversations with God. Have an open heart, an open mind, open ears, and expect God to commune with you when you commune with him. God loves you. Jesus died for you. If you haven't made the choice to make Jesus the Lord of your life, Today is the day that I want to encourage you to do that. Okay? Phew. I haven't said this in a while, but here's the deal. If you live in the United States and you need a Bible, if you don't have one, well, if you've got the technology to watch this, you can just download the, the Bible app. It's a great app. I would show you on my phone, but my phone is being used as my webcam right now. Uh, but you can download the Bible app by Uversion, Y-O-U version. Uh, it's a great app. And it's got a whole bunch of good translations and a lot of great devotionals. I'd encourage you to download that for free on your phone if you have a phone. If you don't have a phone but you got a computer, go to BibleGateway.com. Great resource. But if you need a Bible, if you don't have one, if you don't have the money, maybe you're watching this on a library, using a friend's computer, maybe you're at a friend's house. If you live in America and you need a Bible, um, my wife and I will buy you one and send it to you. Drop me a message with your name, address, and phone number so we know what to put in Amazon for the tracking. We'll go on there and we'll buy one and we'll ship it to you free of charge. You're not going to get marketed to or sold anything. Like it's just, we love you. We want to be disciple makers. So we want to help you get into God's word. Uh, I love you guys. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, if you prefer audio podcasts uh, to video, I record these and I upload them to anchor.fm, which then pushes out to Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, rather Google Podcasts. Uh, Stitcher, and a whole bunch of other ones. So you can go to anchor.fm forward slash reconstructing faith uh, to learn more. I had somebody ask me, they were like, oh, I saw this reconstructing faith and I saw a hashtag deconstruction. Are you deconstructionist? No. No. But here's the deal. Um, uh, I think uh, my experience with um, connecting with people in the quote unquote deconstruction community is that they like to tear down all the bad things that happened um, throughout their faith journey but then they never rebuild their life on the rock, on Jesus. Uh, it's like, let, let's all get in a group together and celebrate the wounds and the pain. Uh, it, it's following this model of culture, right? This let's celebrate brokenness model. That's not, God didn't make you to be broken. That's not what that should be about. Now, I do think, and I'm just going to, I'm going to share this full transparency with you guys. I think there's a value in deconstructing. Now, don't tune out yet. Um, to the extent of looking through why we believe what we believe and figuring out what man-made things we've put in there versus what God actually teaches us, right? Um, give me a good example of this. Um, uh, 
having the mindset I've, I've heard in church before, like we need to be on a mission to save people, to get people saved. That is not a, a there's nowhere in the scriptures. That's not what we do. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus saves. We make disciples. Dan, I can't save you. I can't save you. You can't save me, right? But I've been to churches where that, like, that's their whole thing. Our mission is to get people saved. Our mission is to get people saved. Okay, well, in deconstructing things, in, in wrestling through, and when I say deconstruction, I, eh, I think it, it has become more of a, like, tearing down. For me, it's like weeding through, right? What What's scripturally accurate and what's not? If you don't know why you believe what you believe, you need to take some time to understand why you believe what you believe. Wrestle with the scriptures. Ask the tough questions. M meet with your pastor. If you've got a good local church, meet with your pastor. And, and share with them your doubts, concerns, and, and things that, you, that you, you struggle with so that they can lovingly walk alongside you in this. If, if you're not in an environment where it's safe to ask questions, you're probably in the wrong environment. So to me, uh, there is a whole process that everyone should go through, which is number one, uh, coming, to, coming to understand why, why we believe. Jesus is who he said he is, and God is who he says he is, right? And that, that comes through, like, deconstructing the, the theology that we are born into, taught, things like that. But the rest of that process is reconstructing faith on the rock, building our house on the firm foundation of Jesus and his words. There's a book called, uh, uh, man, I'm probably going to get the title wrong, uh, but uh, Jesus said nothing new, I think is what it is. And it basically talks about how everything Jesus taught came from the Old Testament scriptures. He's taught it in a new way that was easier for people to understand, right? There's a reason that thousands of years after his um, physical death on earth, that millions of people are still trying to follow him. It's because his word's true. If you've been religious your whole life. Today's the day to shake off religion and start following Jesus. If you have been turned off by going to church because of all the religious hullabaloo, if you've said, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites and people that, you know, talk about this guy, but none of them are perfect. Guess what? You're right. The church is full of hypocrites and broken people. It's why we need Jesus because we're not perfect. But we're trying. If you've been turned off to God because of people in church, well, stop following people and start following God. Part of being in a community is so we can walk it out together, love each other through the hard times and the great times, celebrate together, cry together, and pick each other up when we're falling down on this journey. It's a long, hard road. It's not always easy. right? Our flesh desires a lot of things that are not good it's just reality which is why we walk through this together it's because by ourselves we're not going to we're not going to make it through uh to experiencing the best life god has for us on earth that's why we're, it's not good for us to be alone right so get in a good community with the understanding that it's not that you're getting in there looking for perfect people to model we're all trying to model a perfect god who we we saw the example of through the perfect life of jesus that's who we're trying to model. We're trying it together. Okay, so if you've been hurt, wounded by people within a church, 
uh, within the church, the big C church, right? There's all these little denominations. It's all, we're all, it's all the same family. We just all, we, we cling to a different yoke, right? Like uh, the yoke of, um, oh my gosh, Church of Christ people think if you're not baptized, you're not really saved. Whereas, um, you know, in a Lutheran church, sprinkling it on your, ba- your baby's head is what saved you, you know, in the beginning. Jesus saved us. But if we want to disagree on certain other things of theology, it's okay. Because none of us are going to get all of it right. Maybe I'm right about this and you're right about something else. And, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be wrong about something else and you're going to be right about it. It's not about right and wrong. It's about where are we heading? Are we heading in the right direction, right? If you look at, uh, we, drive a, we drive a Tesla Model 3 and um, we can put directions in Google Maps on our phone. We can put them in our Tesla, and it'll take us two different routes to get to the exact same destination. Is one of them wrong and one of them right? Well, no. And by the way, I'm not saying multiple religions lead to God. Please do not take it that way. No, no, no. I'm just referring to Christians who have slight differences in theology on things like water baptism and things like that. Um, If you're following Jesus, if you're trying to follow Jesus, just think of it like we're all on this journey where we're trying to follow him. Some of us are going to go through a path over here, right? Uh, as far as our theology goes, um, you know, some, some of us are going to go through a Baptist church. Some of us are going to go through non-denominations. It's fine. The ultimate thing is, are you trying to walk like Jesus? Best way to know is to open up your Bible. There you go. Get to know his word. Get to know him. Anyways, way longer than I meant to be on the end of this, but I just, I just want to encourage you guys, get in your Bible, get in your Bible, get in your Bible. A couple comments from Alternate Gaming that I just want to read here because I did not read through them. So, uh, interesting command in the scripture here. Let's just uh, pop this on here. It says, um, there's an interesting command in the scripture. After you've eaten and are fully satisfied, bless God for all he has given you. Before the storm, during the storm, throughout salvation, your entire hopes in God. But what about afterwards when you're free from Egypt, free from the storm, free from the hunger? What do you do? You bless God when you're fully satisfied, Deuteronomy 8.10. Great point. Ties perfectly into what we we're going through today. Thank you for sharing that. It says, even an atheist cries out to the gods of their ancestors to help them when they hit rock bottom or when they're starving. But only one who truly fears God after remembering God after they are successful are satisfied. I would agree with you that, uh, yeah, we've got, I mean, we've got to praise God through the good and the bad, right? Celebrate with God. God, God love is joy, right? I mean, there's a scripture where it talks about, you know, God. Uh, I love the anthropomorphic language because it makes it so easy to vi- more, much more easy to visualize. But like of God, God smiling, God laughing, God experiencing joy, God singing over you, like those are beautiful things. And by the way, I love and uh, alternate gaming. Thank you so much for jumping on today. And uh, I'm just curious, uh, you know, about your faith journey. I know so you you don't type God's name, and I know some people think it's disrespectful to, you know, type like type the full name of God or say the name of God. But I, I also um, and, and I, I respect that, by the way, if that's who you are. I also know that, like, um, I, I believe that, you know, God entered into a relationship with us. So, um, you know, it, it, there's a, a lot of language that refers to God as a father. And, uh, you know, I think a father wants to be called by name. And so I, I love using God's name in a good way to acknowledge who God is. Uh, Noah's Ark may be a great <clears throat> relation to the future era of redemption reading uh, this other comment by Alternate Gaming. It says, Noah playing the role of Messiah. All the animals representing people from all nations. The visions of all the animals represent various nations. 
dove being sent out could be seen similar to the spirit sent out resting upon a branch in the land after Messiah who is beaten broken, then returns a broken piece back to the ark and then goes out again and lives on earth forever. Oh, what a beautiful representation. That is really cool. Thank you for sharing that. That is a really, really cool way to look at that. Um, so thank you for those uh, those really thoughtful comments. I think that's a, a beautiful picture, uh, word picture, to help people visualize that um, messianic version of Noah. You know, on that topic, one of the things that, um, well, never mind. This has already gone on long today. We'll be back tomorrow. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Listen, uh, I try and jump on here. It used to be earlier. It's apparently starting later. But typically, um, I'm going to be on here between uh, 8, somewhere between 7.30 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. Usually, uh, Monday through Friday, Central Daylight Time. Um, but you can always watch the recordings afterwards. And you can also always go and listen in audio format. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash reconstructing faith, listen, no matter where you're at, you're just one moment away from walking with Jesus. Make today that day, would you? Love you guys. Appreciate you. And uh, hope I'll see you tomorrow. Wow.